So we'll, <clears throat> we'll go ahead and get started, and it's really good to see all of you guys. Um, if you have not been a part of our group before, um, one of the things that we've been doing for probably about the last 18 months now, uh, I think about 18 months, is we're going through the life of Christ, and we're doing it as, and we're doing it in a harmony of the Gospels. Remember, we, we've talked about it in the past. So, what does that mean? Um, what were the Gospels? Does anybody remember? Like Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So, if you want to read about the the first advent of Jesus, his first birth, we just celebrated Christmas. From the time that he was born, the Word became flesh and walked among us. From that time, if you want to read about the earthly ministry of Jesus. You always turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the first two chapters of the book of Acts. And then after that, of course, he has ascended into heaven, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But So what we're doing is we're taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're trying to harmonize. You're getting four different men's perspectives on Jesus' life, and we're trying to bring it together into one big picture of his, his life story. And so um, it, for the past couple of months... Um, we've really been focusing on um, parables. We've been talking about the parabolic teachings of Jesus. Who remembers? Does anybody remember what a parable is? Do y'all remember our definition of a parable? A story. Okay, it is a story. Good. It's, um, it's like coded language. Good. Very good. It is almost similar. It is a coded language. Um, so a parable, <clears throat> our Sunday school definition of a parable is... It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus talks about trees and roots and fruits and bread and money and and wine and and all kind of different things that you and I are accustomed to associating with because that's our life. That's how we live. He talks about our food and what we eat and yeah. And so he tells these parables in a in a way that what that we can understand the deeper things that God has made revealed to us or given us uh, through Scripture. And um, Henry brought up a very important point. Uh, he said it's coded. And what we saw in the past was is that you would think that a parable would easily explain something so that people can understand it. And the truth of it is it does. For those who have ears to hear, remember what Jesus said? Let he who has ears, let him hear. And so what he's saying is is there are people that the Holy Spirit has opened their ears and their eyes and their hearts to the truth and they can grasp it, they can understand it. And so when Jesus shares these parables with people, it works in two ways. For those who are being saved, for those who are being drawn into the kingdom of God, those who are being drawn into the kingdom of heaven, it either perks their interest and gets them wanting to dig deeper and understand more, or opens their eyes so that they truly see things for the first time, or it can do the exact opposite. It can actually cause people confusion and harden them further to the message of the gospel. And so we need to remember that, that when Jesus is teaching in these parables, um, it's almost like um, a sifting, a a sifting of... uh, the soil to find the gold. You know, you go into a river and you dig the mud out. Yeah, and you pan for gold. And so those parables act as a way to sift out the true believer from the the non-believer. And so if it makes sense to you, if if you understand it, 
then it shows you that God is working in your life and helping you. I think you it also gives us the opportunity to pray to understand God's word. If we don't understand it, we should ask for understanding. Very good. At that moment. We certainly should. And so, I, I, one of the main parables that we had just finished on um, last year before the Christmas break and and the New Year's break was the parable of the four soils and the sower that sowed the word. Remember, we talked about that. And uh, so today what we're going to do is we're going to get right back into the parables, but today we're only going to do two very small parables, and then I want to jump off into some um, some uh, explan- explanatory uh, text to help us to kind of grasp these two parables in particular. So look with me in Matthew 13, and we're going to look at verses 31 through 35. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. All right, I'm John. That ain't going to help. Matthew 13, verses 31 through 35. And this is what it says. Jesus, he presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants, and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Okay? So, notice how he started the statement. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. So, um, if any of y'all remember our 8th grade and ninth grade grammar classes, Using like or as is called what? Similes and metaphors, right? When we use like and as to compare things, right? And a, and a, a metaphor would be something compared to things that are similar. A simile would be comparison. It could be compared to things that are not similar at all, but drawing a comparison between them. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, you will hear a lot of people when they talk about the kingdom of heaven uh, will tell you that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are two separate kingdoms. There are certain denominations and certain eschatological views that say that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are two separate kingdoms. There's one kingdom up in heaven, one kingdom down on the earth. The reality is, is the book of Matthew, um, Matthew is presenting the gospel um, primarily to a Jewish audience. And so one of the reasons why maybe Jesus might have been... uh, referring more to the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew as opposed to the kingdom of God is because the Jewish people were very sensitive about pronouncing the name of God. It was very holy. Uh, Their scribes, when they would write his name, they would literally not spell it all the way out and they would break their pen after they did it. Like they, um, they took very serious, which we should, they took very serious the commandment of God to what? Not take God's name in vain, to, to use it in empty phrases and empty ways. And so, um, one reason why he may have been using the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew is uh, to appeal to his Jewish audience, but the reality is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is the same kingdom. Okay? Now, what did we say, and, and if y'all have not heard anything in our group over the last year and a half, what is a kingdom? Who remembers? What is the definition? Laura, you remember? You're the head of the class. Have you been paying attention? What did we say the definition of a kingdom is? A world. It's a domain. Good. Very good. The king's domain. 
So when you take the word king and domain and cram them together, you get kingdom. All right? So what does that mean? It's the the realm. It is the realm that the king rules over. All right? So we know that God is is omnipotent. Right? He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So what does... God, what does the king rule over? Everything. Everything. That's exactly right. He's the creator and he is the ruler of all creation. Is heaven part of the creation? Yes. Yeah. God created heaven too, right? He created time, space, matter, the earth, heaven, everything. Even the Democrats, right? He created <laughs> you see? God created everything. And the truth of the matter is, we got every, I mean, I'm literally arguing with my mom on the internet about silly stuff in this world. And, and the truth of the matter is, God's in control of over all this chaos that's going on around us right now. Like, He's not up in heaven pulling His hair going, oh no, what are we going to do about this mess? Like, He literally is in control. So he's in control of the all-right, the all-left, and the, the conservative center group, right? He's in control of everybody. He's in control of Trump. He's in control of Biden, right? He's in control of everything. And we need to understand that, that this is his kingdom. His kingdom will come and his will will be done, right? So Jesus says the kingdom, and that's a very important thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. What does it mean to sow something? Plant. Plant, all right? In our last class together, when the sower sowed the seeds, y'all remember that class? Remember the class? The sower sowed the seeds and the seeds landed in the what? Soil. The seed landed in the soil. There were four different types of soil, were there not? There was the hard soil, there was the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the fertile soil. And what did Jesus teach his disciples that those different types of soil soil were? What? It was a different type of heart. The condition of a person's heart. And what did Jesus say that the seed was? The word. The word of God. That's exactly right. So right now today, this very second, we're in here, and I am sowing God's word. I'm sharing these seeds with everybody in this room and all of the people that will listen to this recording later on. Those words are going out. And so based upon the condition of the human heart, those seeds will do something. Okay? So with that parable in mind, because Jesus did say when he taught that parable that he said, this is the main parable. If you understand this one, you'll be able to grasp all the other parables. And so what he says is the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which uh, a man took and sowed in a field. Now, um, y'all have been paying attention, I know. So what did he say about a mustard seed? What What is it? Small. It's small. It's a very, very small seed. It's literally like it's about as big as if you could take your your uh, thumb and your forefinger and pinch them together and make a little diamond right there. If you can see that little bit of light, that's about how big a mustard seed is. But when you plant it, it grows up and it becomes a big, giant tree. Okay? So he says he takes the seed and he sows it in a field. And it's smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it becomes large. It's a, a, uh, bigger than the garden plants, and it becomes a tree so that the birds uh, of the air can come and nest in its branches. So, <clears throat> when we think of trees, one of the uh, psalms that I love to think about is uh, Psalm 1. How many of y'all remember Psalm 1? The righteous man is like a tree planted by the stream, and his leaves flourish, right? 
And what else? And he's fruitful, right? His life is fruitful. When we trust God and walk in his word, we are like a tree. And that tree blossoms and it's um, it's uh, alive and viral and, and uh, uh, virulent and, and it's fruitful. It's, there's fruit all over it. And so a tree is good to have fruit on it, right? Even the oak trees outside, they got fruit in them. What's the fruit in an oak tree called? Acorn. Acorn. And you know what? The squirrels around my house love the acorn. They mess up my whole backyard digging and burying it. Acorns. And they make their nest up in those trees. And so that tree is beneficial to the world around it, is it not? It, it has benefit to it. The animals get a home. Like the raccoons climb up in the rotten part of and they live up in there. It, it gives the animals a home. It gives me. Uh, it keeps my electric bill in the summertime down a little bit, doesn't it? Why? Because it, it throws shade, you see? And so uh, it's a fruitful tree. And so he says this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's just a little tiny small seed, but when it's planted, but when it grows up, it becomes big and fruitful and beneficial to others. And so... Um, Lori, uh, at the beginning of our class today, um, expressed her praise. And she said she was thankful to God that he had orchestrated her life in such a way that she could do what she does now. And that there was no way that she would have ever been able to do that on her own. But And, and, and she's right. And, and the reality is... Not just is, that, though. I'm happy. I'm comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not only that, and you're being... Yeah, and you're being beneficial to others by helping others out. See, so, um, but you know what? The reason that Lori is saved, the, the reason that Lori is a child of God and a born again believer, is because somewhere, sometimes, somebody planted some seeds. Somebody not didn't plant; they sowed some seeds. Yeah. And so I tell this story often. <clears throat> I tell this story often. When I was a kid, um, we we had a, a group at our church. It was called RAs. It was kind of like Christian Boy Scouts. And and uh, and so there was a group of about 15 of us from over in Portland with a group of teenage boys, about 15 of us, about 12 years old to about the time we were 16. And for for about three or four years, the old man that ran, well, he wasn't an old man. He was my age, so he couldn't have been old then. But he used to come around our neighborhood. He used to come around our neighborhood every week. Uh, every week on Wednesday nights, about 4 o'clock, he would come up in an old uh, Chevrolet Stepside pickup truck like a 1967 Stepside Chevrolet, and we would all jump in the back of that truck, and back then you could actually ride down the highway in the back of a truck, and he would have a truckload of teenage boys in the back of his car, and he'd take us to the church, we'd play basketball, we'd eat some hot dogs, and then we would go inside and take the Royal Ambassador Oath. As a Royal Ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ, and to have a Christ-like concern for all people, and to work with others in sharing Christ, and keep myself clean and healthy of mind and body. Now, that's a little oath I learned when I was 12 years old. Well, I can promise you, from 16 to 30, I did not keep that oath. That was not the, that was the least of my worries in life. But all of those times of going to that church and planting those seeds, we were a bunch of bad teenage boys. But did you know that out of that group, five of us became pastors? Wow. You, you know what I mean? And so think about uh, Mr. Jordan one day when he gets to heaven. Like, he's going to be rewarded for you five for all of the work we do too because he's the one that planted the seeds for us. So so you understand what he's saying. The the kingdom it happens in in little pockets and in little neighborhoods all over the world people are going out and do, but it's not big and explosive like an atomic bomb and it's not on the worldwide news and it's not something that you see every day on your television and read in magazines, right? And it's not popular with the culture. It's just very quietly that kingdom is just spreading and spreading and spreading and it's becoming more beneficial, more fruitful to others. You see how that works? 
Okay, so then what he said. He's, uh, so does that help us to understand this parable, the parable of the mustard seed? It's the way the kingdom of God works. The gospel, the word goes out, the seeds are planted in the hearts of men and women, and and it takes fruit, and the kingdom grows. And God is the one in charge of it. Okay? Now, the, the, the second parable is the one that I want to focus a little bit more on today. And this is what it says. Jesus spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like, all right? There again, we have that same, that comparative nature of, of the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened, all right? All these things that Jesus spoke to the crowd in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable, all right? This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. And I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Alright? So, what is uh, Matthew doing there? He's quoting the book of Psalms. And say that Jesus coming and teaching in parables is prophetic. That the psalmist, when he wrote the psalm, Psalm 78, back 900 years, 800 years before Jesus was ever born, said that when the Messiah come, that he was going to come and teach in parables and teach the world about who he was. Like... It was going to happen. And so Jesus is teaching these parables not just to teach the people, but to actually fulfill the promises of God. That's what prophecy is. That's what true biblical prophecy is. They're promises from God. And so Jesus was fulfilling those promises. Now, back to the to the passage. He spoke to the crowd in, in parables, but in verse 33, he says, The kingdom is of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until all was leavened. What is leaven? Anybody know? Yeast. yeast. That's exactly right. And what do we do with yeast? Bread. We make bread. You make beer with yeast too, right? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> you have to have. You have to have. It. And so, what is yeast? It's like a bacteria, right? And what does it do? It rots and it gives off gases. And when it rots and gives off gases, what does it do? It makes the bread puff up. Now, is puffy bread good? Mm-hmm. Yes. French rolls are very good, right? Especially with butter, right? But a lot of time when you buy white bread nowadays, it's not very heavy, is it? It's kind of light. Why is it light? Why is bread so light? A lot of yeast. Yeah, there's a lot of puff in it. And what's in the puff? Air, Air and nothing. Right? You eating these potato chips right now. Chips. Listen, I'm telling you what. The Frito-Lay people will answer to God one day for bearing false witness. <laughs> because when you buy a bag of these chips, it looks like a pretty decent little bag of chips, but it's what? It's all air and bag. Right? It's all air and bag. It's puffed up. And so when Jesus is talking about leaven, he's talking about yeast. And there's all kind of pictures of leaven and yeast in the Bible. This is actually one of the only instances in all of the Bible where the Bible uh, refers to yeast in a positive manner. They use the use of leaven as sin. Yeah. They usually use it as sinful. Yeah, I just read that. Okay. Did you? In my study Bible. Well, I don't have your study Bible, but I have read that before in the study Bible. I'm glad you read that, Lori, because we're going to actually talk about that some more. So, what what does it mean when it says that, that the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like some yeast that a woman hid and in and, and three pecks of flour? What did the woman hide the yeast in the pecks of flour for? She wanted to make some bread. Yep, so you, you put it in the flour and then you let it sit for 28, 48 hours and what happens? It gets all puffy 
until it was all leavened. So right. Until it's spread to the rest of it. Yeah. And then you put it in an oven, you cook it, and you got bread. Well, what is it saying? They're saying that the gospel message is going out into the world, and it is slowly expanding. Right. It, it, it's showing. So, what what do we know? Uh, I, I was on the way when I was riding over here today. I was trying to think of some um, alliteration, some 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 way to help us remember it. Uh, so I was using the letter E as I was bouncing around in my head right over. So number one, yeast does what? It expands. Right? Um, it, uh, what were the other E's I was thinking about all the way over here? I can't think. It expresses. It expresses. It, it, it expresses that God's kingdom is growing. Right? It expands. It expresses. It shows how God's kingdom grows. And, um, and, and number, another thing that yeast or leaven does is it excites. Right? It excites it. It makes it explode so that's how the gospel message works in the kingdom around us it is slowly growing and it's slowly expressing who god and his kingdom is and it also excites us right Lori, are you excited today about bible study I was. amen all right so Lori's excited about it so so in this sense yeast is, is used in a good way but in a lot of ways yeast is not yeast is used in a negative term and that's kind of what i want to focus on today so take your bibles and turn with me back to the Old Testament. We're going to go to Exodus, and we'll start in Exodus chapter 12. Now, the Exodus is the story of the children of God being sla- saved from slavery in Egypt. Everybody need a Bible? Need a Bible? Everybody's got one. I'm sure. I'm fine. Okay. Thank you. All right. All right. So, um, we're going to look at Exodus 12. Remember... The this Exodus story is the story. Exodus is like you see the sign on the top of the door where they say, "Exit." What do you do when you exit? Leave. You leave. So the Exodus is the story of God sending His servant Moses down into Egypt uh, and delivering His people. Who's His people? The Israelites from 430 years or 400 years of slavery. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God's going to set them free from slavery and bring them into the promised land, right? That's a picture of God saving me and you. And where is our promised land? The new heavens and the new earth, right? He saved us from the savory of sin. And now you and I are now in our wilderness experience right now. The life that we're now living is our wilderness experience. And that wilderness experience is used to test whether we're going to trust God or trust the surroundings around us. And then we're going to go to the promised land. So the book of Exodus teaches that. Now, in the story of the Exodus, when Moses goes down, he's basically going to confront Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, through the power of God. And the way he's going to confront him is God is going to put the beat down on all of Pharaoh's gods. The Egyptians were polytheistic. What does that mean, Michael? Many gods. Many gods, all right. And so one of their gods was the god of the Nile. So what did God do? He turned the Nile River into blood, right? And one uh, one of their gods was uh, Hecuba. It was a woman with a frog's head. So what did he do? He sent frogs on all of the land. And one of the gods is Isis, the goddess of fertility. And what did he do? He killed the firstborn, the fertile uh, seed of all of the Egyptians. You see? So God, in his... Uh, stance against Pharaoh is putting the beat down on Pharaoh. Well, after he kills Pharaoh's son, or just before he kills Pharaoh's son, he warns his children that he's fixing to do it. And so what does he do? 
He tells them that they need to go and get a Passover lamb and put the blood over the door of their home, right? And in the night, the angel of God is going to, the destroyed angel is going to pass over the land. And anyone who has the blood over their door, the angel will pass over, right? Well, what does that blood say? I'm a child of God. Huh? Not just that I'm a child of God. It does say that. But what else does it say? Protected by the blood. Somebody's already died here. So the angel don't have to go into that house, you see? You see how that works? It's an expression of their faith, right? They believe in God, and so they show that they believe by putting the blood over their door, right? And uh, so when the angel passes over, if there's blood already on the door, it signifies that someone has already died here, and then he goes to a house where there's no blood on the door, and he goes in and takes the firstborn son. And that's a picture mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it points to. So, if you and I have the blood of Christ over us, what does the, the destruction and the, the uh, wrath of God and the justice of God say when it sees me and you? Someone's already died here. Somebody's already died here. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? Well, you go to Galatians and what do you say? I am crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me and the life that I now and live, I live. Have died too. That's what it's talking about. All right, so... Let's look at 12:14 because before they ate the Passover, they had to do something. Look at Exodus 12:14. It says this. It says, "For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all of the firstborn in the land uh, of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Uh, I am the Lord." The blood shall be a sign for you on your house where you live. And when you see the blood, I will pass you over and no plague will befall you or will destroy you. And so uh, that's the theme of the Passover. Flip over to Exodus um, uh, 34. Oh, I'm sorry. Stay, stay there in 12 for a minute. And look what it says here. Verse 17. Uh, verse 14. This is the day that will be a, a memorial to you, and you will celebrate it as a feast of the Lord throughout all of your generations you are to celebrate it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your house, for whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person will be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall have a holy assembly, and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all will be done. Um, on on them except what must be eaten by every person that you may be prepared that will be prepared for you. You will also observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on that very day I brought you, uh, your host, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout the generation. So God has given the children of Israel a memorial, and it's called the uh, the, the Passover is the memorial where they remember that God saved them from the land of Egypt, that he passed over their homes and destroyed Pharaoh and his people. And in, in a part of that Passover uh, service uh, was a, a week of unleavened, a feast of unleavened bread. And so what you did is on the first day of the week, you and your kids and everybody in your family went around with a little feather and swept up all of the dust out of your house. And swept all because there was to be no yeast in your house. Now, remember, what does yeast do? It puffs you up. Okay? And so they would go around. And so Jesus was using yeast as a way to teach them that that's what sin does to you. If sin is in your house, it's going to puff you up. And so you need to be very careful about that. Now, what I want you all to think about, I know you guys go to IPC. And so I know, how many, how often do y'all do the uh, communion? How often do y'all do the Lord's Supper? 
Sunday. Okay. I think at least once a month. Y'all do it once a month? Okay, we do it the first Sunday of, well, actually at my, my church that I go to in, in Rankin, um, we do it every week. We do, after, at the end of every service, we have the Lord's Supper. My cousin and her family is moving to Rankin. What's I, the name of your church? Redeemer Baptist. Tell her to come. So, uh, we do it every month. Well, well, think about this. So, what do we what, what do? We do? Um, can communion, the ordinance of communion, become a ritual that is dead and means nothing? Yes, if people let it. But what, why do we do it every week? Why do we have communion every week? Because before we te- partake, um, the, the pastor reminds us of what God has done for us and reminds us that the ordinance of the Lord's Supper has been given to us by God and that we are to partake of it as a remembrance of what He's done for us. And not only that, what does the wine symbolize? Blood. The blood of Christ. And what does the bread symbolize? The body of Christ. And the bread is unleavened and the wine. And so we have that. And so one thing that it's doing is it's actually preaching the gospel in parable. It's a parabolic teaching of what Jesus has done for us. You see? What is it? It's wine that I can hold and bread that I can taste, wine that I can drink. You see? It's a parabolic Ritual. It is, but if you're not sick, there's a warning in not doing that. It's a very much so. Right? Very much so. That's exactly right. But think about this. What are we doing? We're eating this bread and we're drinking this wine in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And one of the things that you are required to do before uh, you go and partake is to check yourself. Right? What's the old check yourself before you rank yourself? (laughs) Paul warns us not to partake unworthily. So if you are living in open and unrepentant sin... If you're going out on the weekends and partying and drinking and acting a fool, you're not supposed to come and partake. Now, are there true safe people that are going out partying and acting a fool? Yes. Yes, yeah, there certainly are. <laughs> right? But what is that called? It's called living in sin. It's called trampling under the, your feet the blood of Christ. What do I mean by that? You're taking advantage of what he has done for you, and you're literally stepping on his blood. And you're not setting a good example for others. Good. So, and, you're, and you're accountable for your action. Yes, sir. Yeah. You say party. It depends. I, I guess it depends what we're about. Huh? You say party. It depends. It depends on what you what prep, what, what you prep to find a party. You can have a party without... If you out drunk, being drunken and carousing and living in the street and, and acting a fool and chasing women, you're partying. And well, that's wrong. The it, drunken party, you know. You know um, yeah. Yeah, that's wrong. All right, so if you're doing that, you can you be saved and do that? Yes. Number one, you'll be a miserable person. And number two, God's going to judge you for it because you know better. Like, remember when your mama and your, and your auntie and your grandma used to tell you that? Boy, you know better. Right? It's even worse when you know better. Isn't it? And, and, and that's what Paul was meaning. Remember in the book of Hebrews, what he said is they're crucifying Christ afresh and trampling under their feet the blood of Christ. Now, I want you to think about how cool this is. Where did the Israelites put the blood on the door? Huh? Above the door. Above the door and on the sides, but they didn't put it on the bottom, did they? No. Right? Because you don't walk on the blood. You don't trample on the blood. So it's just a little inside lesson. So what do we do each week at our church? Well, we take about five minutes before we go and partake, and we pray about unconfessed sin or things that, like, you know, I lost my temper this week or... I really indulged in some lustful thoughts this week, or um, you know, I, uh, I I could have helped this guy out on the side of the road and I didn't. Um, I, I I've not loved you with my whole heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength like I'm supposed to. And you pray, you take time to do what? Sweep the house. 
to purge out the leaven that's in you. You see? The sin that puffs you up. So it's a time, just like, so at their Passover, what do they do? They swept all the leaven out of their house before they partook, partook of the, the lamb, before they ate from the lamb. And it's the same thing that we do in the Christian church today. Before we go and take communion, we pray and we ask God to forgive us of our sins, right? He does that. If we confess our sins, He is very faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So why do we do it every week? Because it's a way for me to hold myself accountable for the last seven days. To think about things that I'm still, in areas of my life where I'm still embracing sin. Is there anybody that goes up to that table that's perfect? No. Not a one. Right? So, it's not saying that if you sin, you don't have, you're not allowed to go to the table and partake. It's just that you're supposed to focus on the fact that you have a Redeemer in Christ and that you need to walk as He walked and you need to love as He loved and, and you need to live as He lived. And when you're not, you, the Holy Spirit will bring that up to you. So, it's a, it's a time to purge out the leaven in our lives. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. So, um, to fit it, so that's the Old Testament story. And, and, and it's talking about this leaven that puffs us up. And all through the Bible, that leaven is a picture of sin in our lives. All right. Now, I want, to turn with, I want you to turn with me to the New Testament. And let's look at a couple of things. Let's turn to Mark 8.15. Mark 8.15. So... Before we read Mark 8.15, let me give you a little background to the story. Mark 8, Jesus has just finished feeding 5,000 people, right? Or 4,000 people. And what did he feed them with? Bread. Seven loaves of bread and a couple of fish. All right? Would you say that Jesus puffed up that bread and that fish? Yeah, he really did. It went from seven and two to feeding 4,000 men. Now, that's just the men. That means that most of them had a wife out there and two kids, right? So you're looking at probably 10,000 people out there that he fed with seven pieces of fish and two pieces, uh, seven pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. And when they got done, the disciples had plenty left over for them too. He made sure that his servants had their provisions as well. Okay? All right, so he's just done this mighty miracle. He's done this amazing miracle and fed all these people. And what did he feed them with? Bread. I want you to hear that. Make sure you hear that. Bread. He fed them with bread. And so look what it says down. And uh, let me find it. Jamal, 815? Yep. No, Mark chapter 8. And we're going to look at verse 10 and go to 15. So this is what he said. Immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and they came to the district of Dalmanutha. Now, what's happened? He's been preaching for three days, uh, and now he's done this miracle and fed all these people. And so now immediately him and his disciples get in a boat and head to the other side of the lake. Okay, and it says this. Um, the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. All right. So who are these people? They are unbelie- unbelievers. These Pharisees are unbelievers. And what do they want Jesus to do? Show us a sign so that we can believe you. <clears throat> Right? Now, has Jesus shown any signs? Yeah. More than they could ever imagine. And yet, every time he shows them a sign, what is the response of the unbeliever? Show me something else. Yeah. <laughs> All right? And if you, any of you have friends who are lost, 
and are non-believers, the only way that they will ever become believers is by hearing the Word of God and God opening their ears and hearts and regenerating them and giving them new life. That's the only way they're going to ever believe. But what do they always do to you? How do you know that that's the Bible? It was written by a bunch of different men and it's been translated over and over again for for 2,000 years. How do you even know that's even true? You see? Right? And no matter what you do to try to show them it's true, they're not going to believe it. Right? And it's the same way with these Pharisees. No matter what Jesus does, they will not believe. There's a story in John 11 where Jesus literally raises a man from the dead. His name is Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come forth. One of my favorite lines in the entire Bible in the King James Version. Uh, they say, he said, remove, remove the stone. Take the stone away from the front of the grave. And what does one of his sisters say? Lord, by this time he stinketh. Right? That's what it says. Right? It said, Mary said, Lord, by this time he's stinking. He's been dead four days. All right? They rolled a stone away. Jesus says, What? Lazarus come forth. And what happened? Out in them grave cloths comes Lazarus walking alive. Jesus says, Raise him from the dead. Is there any more greater an example of the proof that he is who he says he is than calling somebody out of a tomb? No. And you know what it says next? The Pharisees then plotted and said, we're going to have to kill him and we're going to have to kill Lazarus. They did not want to believe and they wanted to wipe out any evidence that would hold them accountable for their unbelief. You see? And so Jesus is... So, Jesus has just been confronted by the Pharisees about unbelief and now watch what happens. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take what? They had forgotten to take bread. They had forgotten to take bread with them and did not have any more than one loaf in the boat with them. All right. Now who's the they? His disciples. So now they're in the boat and they're in the, heading to the other side of the lake and they forgot to bring any bread. All they got is one loaf. Okay? And then it says this. And he was giving them orders saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. They begin to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. So Jesus says, Watch out for the leaven. What do we know leaven does? Expands. Puff you up. Jesus is warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. All right? So he's saying that there's something about the Pharisees and something about Herod. Now, who is Herod? Herod is the political power of that day. Herod represents the political power of Rome in in that region. All right? So what is Jesus saying? Beware of the Pharisees and beware of Herod. Beware of their leaven because they will puff you up. And look what it says. They begin to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. So Jesus mentions leaven. And instead of thinking of the Pharisees and Herod and leaven, what do they think about? Bread. 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 Yeah. Now, remember, they have a loaf of bread with them in the boat. And what had Jesus just done like a couple of hours before that? <laughs> Fed a, <bunch> <laughs> a bunch of people. So are they going to go hungry? No. No. And so this whole lesson here is teaching us that we need to stop relying on uh, anything else 
besides Christ. That's exactly right. Right now, so what does he say? So what are they doing? They're thinking about bread. They're thinking about they're thinking about their stomachs, and they forgot that number one, they forgot that Jesus has just showed them that he can supply all of their needs according to his riches. Like he's going to supply their needs. They're his disciples. What what does the psalmist say? Uh, many days I've known this earth, and I have never known a child of God to lack bread. All of these days I have never seen one of God's children lack bread. What does that mean? You might not have uh, these good brownies, but you'll have something to eat, right? He's going to make sure that you are taken care of when you're a child, when you put your trust in Him. And so with this leaven, and with what is he saying? Well, the Pharisees have two characteristics that Jesus is expressing when he's talking about this leaven. Number one, they're hypocrites. What does it mean? They're externally righteous, but internally they're just as wicked as everybody else. So they try to put on a front, and they rely on what they look like on the outside to be their righteousness. Okay? So what is Jesus saying? He said, if you're looking to yourself for your righteousness, you're going to get puffed up. If you're looking to your religious ceremonies and you're looking to the clothes that you wear and you're looking to uh, how you talk and how you walk, then you're who are you relying on? You're relying on yourself. And what's it going to do? It's going to puff you up. Right? Not only that, if you're relying on, on yourself, who are you not relying on? God. You see how that works? And then he said, beware the leaven of Herod. Well, I can tell you that most of our world right now is looking to political people to give meaning and purpose to their lives. We have a whole group of wackadoo social marxists out there right. and ignorant folks that are thinking that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to bring peace and unity and prosperity well, to this country. Well, oh, no, no, and I'm not just picking on them. We also have a bunch of right-wing conservative yep. Trump maniacs yep, that think that he is the savior of the world and that this was the Antichrist that has taken him out. So what are they doing? They're putting their trust in men. They're putting their trust into a, a political system. Their hope. And, and, and they're looking for the government to provide for them the things that only God can provide. Well, he did expose a lot of stuff. So I think he was in God's plan. They all are. Mm-hmm. Right? They all are. You're right. God so all of them. what is Jesus warning about? Don't put your trust in men. Don't put your trust in yourself. If you are leaning on political persuasion or political power to bring you your happiness and your hope and your peace, it's going to puff you up and you're going to explode. At 8.17, it asks why you're discussing the bread you're talking about. Yep. And so in my study Bible, it says, Jesus' question rebuked the disciples for completely missing his point. He was concerned with spiritual truth, not mundane physical matters. Very good. He is concerned for spiritual truth, not physical mundane matters. Now, take your Bibles and turn. Let's go back to the Old Testament. I want to show you another example of that. We got to hurry. We got seven or eight minutes left. Turn to Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, it's the story of the bronze serpent. We've done that in this class before. Remember Look and Live? How remember remember our Look and Live lesson? Where they were getting bit by the serpents and Jesus told them that if they would look at the bronze serpent on the pole, they would live. Y'all remember that story? Yes. All right. Yes. So they're out in the wilderness and Numbers, look, Numbers 21 verses uh, uh, 4 through 10. 
Um, it says, Then the people, they set out from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people be- became impatient because of the journey. So what are they? They are impatient because of the journey. It's taking too long. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? All right. Numbers 21, verse 4. Verse 5. The people spoke against God and Moses. What is it called when we speak against God? Blasphemy. And what is it called when we speak against His, his servants? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. All right. When, if God has truly sent someone to you to tell you something, if a prophet has come to you and shared his word with you and you speak against him, uh, be careful. Be very, very careful. All right. It says the people spoke against God and Moses. And watch the question they asked. Lori, here's our question. Why? Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? Now, he brought them out of Egypt, didn't he? Did he bring them out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? No. No, he brought them out of Egypt to carry them to the promised land. But because of their circumstance, because it's hot and they're tired and they don't see the promised land, because they're focusing on themselves and their circumstances, because they're focusing on their, their stomachs and what they see around them, they forget the promise. And so what did it make them? They're impatient. They're unbelief. Impatience is just an example of unbelief, isn't it? Yeah. And so the lack of faith, they're cursing God. And watch what it says. For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this miserable food. And then it goes on to say, then God sent the fiery snakes and started biting the people. The people started dying, etc., etc. But the point I'm making is this. Watch what it says. The people spoke against God and said, there's no food and there's no water. Now, there's a problem with that. What is on the ground every morning when they wake up? There's food. You see? And what did God do when he told Moses to strike the rock? Water. God is supplying their needs according to His riches. That's amazing. But what is it saying? It's He's supplying their needs. needs. And so what they said, there's no food and water. That's not true. There is food and there is water. There's bread from heaven. But the problem is, they want the leeks and the melons and the onions. And the quail. And the and, well, not the quail, yeah. Quail? They, Later on yeah, they're gonna, yeah, they're gonna add. But they're talking about Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to die? We could have stayed in Egypt and had leeks and onions and melons, right? Good spicy food. Yeah, and, that's exactly right. Exactly. All right, so we got five minutes. I'm gonna try. I'm, I'm gonna try to fit that point in. Think about our former lives and drugs and alcohol, and and living the life we were living. Even when we sobered up and got out of it, there's a part of me that is prone to. To reminisce on the good times. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Right? We remember all the fun. Sure. I remember when I first got sober. I'm thinking, I'm never gonna have fun again. I'm gonna can't be drinking beer. I can't be smoking weed. Life is not gonna be. I've never had so much fun as I have in Friday. And you and what you forget? What do you forget? You forget the sheriff uh, notices on your door. Sure. You forget the bills coming in. You forget the the lights getting turned off. You forget (laughs) the the seat of a police car. Forty-eight hours in holding. You see? And so what happens? We, we focus on the physical at the cost of the spiritual. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. They're forgetting that God is providing everything that they need. The bread that they need. And so what are they doing? They're doing the same thing that the disciples are doing in the boat. And what are they doing? They're doing the same thing that me and you do every day. Every day. We focus on our circumstances. We focus on ourselves and our own desires. What looks good, tastes good, feels good, sounds good. 
We, we focus on our sensual nature instead of focusing on the spiritual truth of God. One last thing, and then we got to close. we got like three minutes left. Um, turn with me to John 6. John chapter 6. Let's look at John what? John six. And let me find it. Alright, let's look at um let's look at John six verses forty seven uh, through fifty eight. John six verses forty seven through fifty eight. This is Jesus, and this is one of his truly, truly statements. Amen, amen, right? That's what that word truly, truly means. Some of of your translation might actually say, Amen, Amen. In the Greek, it actually says, Amen, Amen. Not a woman. It says, Amen. So be it. It is true. Okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the what? Bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it, and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my what? Flesh. Now what do we eat when we eat the bread at communion? This is my body that was broken for you. Okay? Now, um, everybody in this room except for Michael... Because Michael's Catholic, does not believe that when we eat that bread, we are actually eating the true flesh of Jesus. Right? Michael wouldn't even believe in transubstantiation. All right, and that's something he'll have to wrestle with on his own. We won't even go into that discussion today. But the point is, what are we doing? We're eating a piece of bread because it reminds us of the spiritual reality of who Christ is. Okay. And he says this, Then the Jews began to argue with one another and said, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What are they thinking about? Physical. <laughs> He's speaking spiritual. They're thinking physical. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. What does it mean? In faith we spiritually partake of his blood and, and body. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, does that mean that if I drink that wine and eat that bread, that that brings regeneration into me and gives me eternal life? No, you have to do it with faith. No, it's faith that does that. And faith is a gift from God. It's not something you bring up on your own. It's something He gives to you. So, by you eating the bread and drinking the wine, you're expressing your faith. Good. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. All right? So we're going to have to close our class today. Um, We went over a whole bunch of stuff, but I hope that it all tied together in the end. And uh, guys, it's good to see you. I guess I will see y'all. I will see y'all next week because next week will be the third week. So I'll have y'all week three, four, five. Let's close with a quick word of prayer, and we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for sending us your Son. Um, thank you so much for His gift and what He did on that cross for us by His body being broken and His blood being poured out, uh, so that 
uh, we could once again have fellowship with you through his righteousness. Um, help us to take these truths, these words that were shared today, and uh, help them to grow in us. Help them to expand and uh, help, it, help them to excite us and uh, help us to be able to go out and, and explain uh, those truths to other people. Um, because you are a good God and a loving God and a caring God, and you've done so much for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.